Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. School's out for the summer. It's a rallying cry for students everywhere. But for working parents, summer poses a whole set of different challenges, starting with who's going to watch the kids during the day? For many, summer camps are the answer. But getting a spot in a camp, finding the right schedule, and paying for the camp can be challenging. Why is summer camp such a mess? And why aren't there more affordable options? We'll talk summer camp and hear from you. What's your child doing this summer? That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in today for Alexis Madrigal. When my kids were younger, in January, my husband and I would huddle over the computer, fingers poised, ready to nab spots in various summer camps. There was the science camp, the choose-your-own-adventure camp, the bike-across-the-city camp. Each week, the kids had a different set of activity activities to keep them occupied while we were working. And it wasn't just about booking them a spot. We were doing the Jenga math of finding spots the same week as their friends, at the same locations— To be honest, we were exhausted before the summer began, and we were not alone. According to Lydia Kiesling, summer camp is fun for kids, most of the time at least, but a headache for parents. Her latest article for Bloomberg is titled, How Summer Camp Became Such a Hot Mess for Parents, and she's here today. Welcome to Forum, Lydia. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, it's so nice to have you. And I laughed out loud when I read the headline to your article about how summer camp's such a hot mess. I mean, as you heard, I probably also had a little PTSD. And I'm sure you felt a little bit of the same way since you have young children. I mean, what is your experience when setting up summer camp for your own kids? Um, Well, so I'm actually, you know, relatively new to the summer camp hustle because my oldest child is eight. um, And, you know, due to COVID life, um, you know, our summer camp years, I guess, started maybe maybe two summers ago, um, but really last summer in earnest. Um, So I was not prepared. I mean, I think many things about American parenting, you just don't realize until you get there how there is no system and no no plan. And it's up to you to figure it out. <laughs> and when you talk about summer camp, Lydia, what are you talking about? Um, well, so that's a great question. And one of the things that makes it kind of hard to research and talk about, it's such a, a broad array of programs are kind of lumped under that umbrella. I think, you know, often people have in their mind the 
sort of pastoral idea of, you know, canoes and lakes and the, that kind of sleepaway experience. But um, more and more, I think camp is understood by many people to also include, or, or maybe mostly include day camps um, close to where, or ideally close to where families live. Um, and yeah, it can be anything from a half day sports camp to a full day art camp or, you know, the, just as you mentioned, there's sort of a dizzying array of options and, and things that fall under that term. Well, you, I think in your article, you call it maddening, maddeningly unspecific and increasingly Baroque in terms of the options. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, as a parent who's looking at summer camps for the first time, did you feel overwhelmed by the options? Um, I will say that I... I think the more I know about what's out there now, I'm starting to feel that overwhelm. And also, you know, the older your children get when there's sort of this period for children um, before they're old enough to reasonably left alone, be left alone. Um, you know, when they're super young, it doesn't really matter. You just kind of need a place for them to go. And I, I didn't realize until now as my oldest child is, you know, getting older that, they do have, they have opinions about where they're <laughs> going to go and what they're going to do. So I hadn't even really begun to contemplate that piece of the puzzle. It was more just like, what's the most time, you know, and most affordable and most convenient option I can find. And that's already, you know, pretty overwhelming, even before you consider what does my child enjoy? You know, um, what, what things could I be, what opportunities could I be giving them? Mm -hmm. Well, in part of the article and your research is just the stress that parents feel in putting these summer um, agendas or activities together. Tell us a little bit about the spreadsheets. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, as soon as I, um, you know, kind of put the call out and various Facebook groups and on social media, you know, just asking parents what their summer experience was. I, I was not expecting to hear the word spreadsheet so many times, but it really, <laughs> it really did come up a lot. And, um, you know, I want to emphasize that if you are having a spreadsheet, you know, you're probably already in a position of relative privilege compared to, mm. you know, many parents who are, are not in a position to start that scramble in January and be doing that like complex whiteboard with, you know, all your maps and pins of figuring out <laughs> how it's going to work. But it is very complex. And so many camps are now um, offered in this sort of piecemeal week by week way that parents are really finding that it, it takes a, just an, a massive amount of logistical arranging to figure out a whole summer of care. Well, I want to give a shout out to our KQED politics reporter, Marisa Lagos. She shared her camp spreadsheet with me. And that thing is a thing of beauty. Like the weeks are laid out, the friends who might be going to the camps with her kids, locations, prices, dates, even backups. Um, it's like wow. a masterpiece. And I guess, you know, a lot of parents have to do that because, as you said, they're piecing together an entire summer, I mean, eight to 10 weeks of activities for their kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it's often moms who are doing that labor. Yeah, that is for sure. Well, you know, how did we get here? I mean, how has summer camp become such a thing? You looked into the a little bit of the history of that. It's, tell us a little bit about that. Well, one thing that I found so surprising, you know, I went into this, I was given this assignment, I, I knew, you know, just sort of anecdotally that summer camp is a mess, like many things about sort of the American childcare system. But I 
I had the impression, you know, it must be uniquely bad now. Um, what I was surprised to find my, my sort of, um, uh, the, the method I used to research was to look at the New York Times archive of summer camp articles, basically, you know, not that the New York Times is like the be all end all of American experience, but I was just curious sort of what the paper of record said about the concept of summer camp over time. And I was amazed to see that a kind of camp anxiety ethos stretches back to the 1950s. Um, and, you know, it, uh, at, initially it's more sort of like, there's all these cool sleepaway camps. And it was obviously, there were these articles that were kind of targeted to like relatively affluent readers of the times, but we're really kind of stoking that concern. Like it's January, what is your child going to do? You know, what exciting and enriching experience are you going to give them? All these camps fill out, fill up very quickly. You've got to get ready. Um, and that just sort of ramped up over the years and you could see the introduction of more and more day camps and more and more kinds of camps. Um, in the 80s, for example, there were a bunch of articles in the Times about computer camps mm. and how that was all the rage and now parents were scrambling to find these spots. And so there's a little bit of like kind of a manufacturing desire for these kind of experiences and programs, um, but also, uh, you know, showing just what the options were. And it was a while, it, it took a while before the the articles began to reflect that camp isn't just something that, you know, rich parents want to do for their kids, but it's also a necessity for um, households where parents are working. Um, and so really kind of that, you know, there would be sporadic mentions and then that ramped up more like in the 90s. But even then it was just this cycle of kind of reinventing the wheel where there would be all these articles about different kinds of camps and how stressful it was to figure it out. Then there would be like a backlash article. So I remember <laughs> reading one article, you know, at some point in like the eighties, that's like, what are we doing to our kids? They're so overscheduled, which is exactly what people say today. Um, or there would be an article like we did a camp in our backyard because camp has just gotten so silly and outrageous. Um, and I will note that was also moms putting that camp together. <laughs> it was definitely a lot of work, but it just kind of seems like, we're reinventing the wheel in a way that I wasn't expecting. Although certainly I found talking to um, camp directors today, there are, I think, sort of, and parents, there are unique challenges. So I do think in some ways it's worse, but also um, I was amazed by how, how far back this sort of idea stretches. I mean, it seems like the camp industrial complex preys upon the anxiety of parents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to, like it's easy to be really cynical about this and I, I, I am pretty cynical about it in some ways, but um, yeah, I mean, it is a, if you've got a good idea for something that sounds great and fun for kids to do, whether that's, you know, out of the goodness of your heart and, or just like, you know, that parents are in a bind and you're like, wow, I could really, I could really do something here. Then again, I, having said that, you know, all the camp directors I talked to just spoke of, it's not a, for many of them, there's not like some massive, profit margin that they're seeing but but it definitely has been you know as soon as w when you read these articles you know back in the 60s and 70s there was a boom um for for camps and people were just opening these programs right and left and were those day camps like they are today or was that you know sleepaway camps that have specialties um, so it was both. And there, you know, I'm, I'm now sort of far enough out from writing this article that I, I don't remember the exact kind of rise and fall, but there were definitely some economic pressures that 
that that sleepaway camps face. So basically there's like a big ramp up in types of sleepaway camps. And that's what the focus was. And, you know, they were heavily concentrated in the Northeast, but they were really all over the country. Um, and, you know, some of them were low cost, some of them were very high cost, but, you know, serving kind of different groups of uh, kids. And then um, in the kind of 70s, you can see there was a slump and there are some interviews with camp directors, you know, real estate, and certain like prevailing economic forces were causing camps to um, summer camp or sleepaway camps to shut down. And that's when there started to be more of this kind of rise in local day camp style programs. Well, we're talking about why summer camp is, quote, such a hot mess for parents. And why are camps hard to book? Why are they so costly? And what what is a parent supposed to do? We're joined by Lydia Kiesling. She's a journalist and author. Her most recent piece for Bloomberg was How Summer Camp Became Such a Hot Mess for Parents. And we'd love to hear from you. What plans did you book for your child this summer? And did you encounter any difficulties in finding a summer camp or child care for your kid? What are the things that you think should be happening during the summer with your children? And are there any solutions you'd recommend to families looking for a summer camp this summer? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more on for of forum after this short break. We're talking about camps. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about summer camps, how to book one, what camps are out there, and why it is summer plans for kids got so complicated. I'm joined by Lydia Kiesling. She's a journalist and author. Her most recent piece for Bloomberg was How Summer Camp Became Such a Hot Mess for Parents. And we'd love to hear from you. What plans did you make for your child this summer? And did you encounter any difficulties in finding a summer camp or child care for your kid? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866 
733-6786 or email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. And you can find us on social media. We're at KQED Forum. I wanted to bring in another guest who's here with me in the studio, Eduardo Caballero. He's a co-founder and executive director of Edmo, a summer camp in the Bay Area. Welcome to Forum, Eduardo. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Eduardo, Lydia was telling us about how camps have evolved. And I'm curious, when you were a child, did you attend summer camp as a kid? And what was your experience like? <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I've never really left summer camps. Um, both my parents were working parents, and uh, they needed a place to put me during the summertime. And uh, so I actually grew up here in San Francisco. I went to the went to Pine Lake Day Camp. Uh, that's one of the camps of uh, the San Francisco Rec and Park Department uh, in Stern Grove. And so, yeah, it was... Growing up in camp, it was outdoor fun. You were we were doing s'mores and singing songs and scavenger hunts and uh, staff uh, hide and go seeks and dodgeball and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and you never left camp because you actually run a camp today. That's right. Yeah. So uh, once I turned twelve, uh, I was too old to be a camper, and my mom went to the camp director. Shout out to Dave Dinslage, and uh, and she said, hey, what can I do with them? And he said, hey, you can volunteer. And she said, great, he volunteers. Uh, so I worked my way up every summer. I volunteered um, all the way uh, until I got old enough until I was 15. That was my first uh, job, summer job, and became a counselor and then worked my way up all the way through college to become an assistant director for the camp. Well, you own a camp today, or you run a camp today, and it's structured a little bit differently, and we'll get into that. But what do you make for this free-for-all that parents feel in January, like they have to get camp um, scheduled for their kids, and that intense anxiety that accompanies that? Absolutely. And and (laughs) some of that is real, and definitely some of that's manufactured as well. I mean, definitely uh, the camps will uh, start marketing at a very uh, early time. I mean, we actually would even do... uh, early bird and pre-reg reg, uh, registrations as early as November for the following year. And uh, we did find that about 40% of our, our camp spots would fill up by fe- by the end of February. So a good chunk of folks, and definitely, you know, you get folks enrolling as early, you know, as November, January, uh, all through, through February. And then, um, and then, but still you got about 60% of spots after that through March, all the way through, uh, you know, June or July. So there's hope for people who are not super organized to get in there. <laughs> I, I mean, but is it still competitive? I mean, is the market for spots just really hard to find? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think when we coming out of the pandemic, um, we definitely saw the demand go down um, because mm-hmm. a lot of folks weren't comfortable being in large group settings with lots of kids and you know, lots of germs. Uh, so folks kind of scaled back. I think they did more camp grandma or stayed at home or maybe smaller camps. Um, but it definitely last year we saw the demand coming back, and and I imagine this year it's 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 back to probably close to pre-pandemic levels. Right. Well, a listener tweets: We need longer than week-long day camps. The bouncing around is making me crazy. How can any kid make lasting friends in I think just a week? And how long do do your camps run? And what do you suggest to that uh, listener about just the the week-long programs? So um, when we did primarily fee-for-service uh, model day camps, uh, it was one week at a time. Families can sign up for one week up to uh, really six to eight weeks uh, without repeating curriculum. So a lot of times, I mean, you can sign up for the same camp for multiple weeks. Just make sure that they're doing different activities and different curriculum each week so your child doesn't get bored. Um, but most programs should at least have some differentiation from week to week. And Definitely, I always recommend to families do a program for at least two weeks um, mm. so that kids can build relationships with other kids and also the staff. It takes time for that staff to get to know your child, 
takes time for your staff to get or your child to understand the culture of that camp, that specific camp, and build those lasting relationships. Well, let's take a caller. Um, we have Amon from San Mateo. Welcome to, to Forum, Amon. Hi, thanks for having me. Great. What's your comment or question? Yeah, so I've had a contrasting experience. Uh, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old boy, and it's actually been relatively easy for me to find camps to take them to. Uh, we live in San Mateo. I see a variety of camps being offered from between 300 to $800 a week. Uh, and, you know, there's uh, karate camps, there's soccer camps, there's sports camps uh, that mix sports. There's a variety of camps being offered, and, and dads can do it too. You know, I've, I've planned all my kids' uh, camps since they were younger, uh, and uh, they seem very happy. And uh, it hasn't been as hard. It was overwhelming at first, but once you kind of get the hang of it, it's actually very feasible. I like to hear that. I mean, this is a positive camp store. It's not so hard to find a camp. And has the market changed, Eduardo? Are there more spots? I, I do think so. Yeah, there's there's a lot more camps in 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 this field, and uh, and like I said, I don't think we're quite yet back to those pre pre pandemic levels. So there there should be spots, and especially in in even in weeks like uh, the Fourth of July week or something, or even towards the end of the summer, um, there will be more spots available. Mm-hmm. Well, Lydia, one of the things that makes camp or summer feel a little bit hard for parents is that sometimes families feel like their kids should be experiencing an, an enrichment opportunity, whether they're in kindergarten or high school. And there are a lot of specialty camps out there. When did the specialty camp come into existence? And what are some of the specialty camps that you found? Well, so... Um, because I'm a, you know, working mom, I did a little bit of multitasking for this piece. So I just went to the camp directors of the camp and preschool that my kids go to Mm -hmm. and asked them, um, I live in Portland, Oregon. I used to live in the Bay area. I'm sad to not be there anymore, but, and, you know, I, I asked them about this because they, they run, um, they are a preschool, but they also run a full summer long day camp for, um, older kids. And they told me that, you know, they started their camp in 1999 and initially it was just basically a summer long session. You know, parents would sign up for nine weeks at a time. And, you know, when public schools got out, that's when the camp opened and then they ran all the way till the beginning of the school year. Um, And then they, they noted that sort of in the early aughts and mid aughts um, parents started asking them for, uh, to break it up and so that they could sign up for weeks, you know, one week here, two weeks there. And the reason they gave was that they were hearing about all these cool new camps that were opening up. Um, you know, so this is in Portland and they mentioned Taekwondo camp, um, a girls who rock camp, um, uh, you know, soccer camp, arts camp, music camp. So, you know, parents were finding out about those opportunities and I think feeling some anxiety like, Oh, well, you know, I had my kid just signed up for basically a, uh, you know, meat and potatoes summer long, like you go to a park on a bus and then you do maybe some arts and crafts. Um, and so parents kind of, in a way, um, it is, I, when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, it's a nightmare of our own making. <laughs> um, and, you know, they also told me in that period, parents were like, oh, what, what do you do worksheets? Like, do you do reading logs? Like they were really feeling, you know, anxiety that their kids like be learning something. Um, they did tell me that that now they're, they're seeing parents ask for more, you know, play. Um, and 
uh, I want to acknowledge, you know, the previous caller. Yes, like absolutely dads are doing this work. And I salute you for um, putting the summers together. And that is great. Yeah. Well, it might be easy to do an eye roll about camps, especially specialty camps. I mean, in that article, it referred to things like Dungeons and Dragon camps and Scooter camp. And I mean, there seems to be a different camp for every flavor, but they are effectively a form of childcare, I think. And here to talk about that is Jessica Calarco. She's an associate professor of sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and she studies the inequalities in education and family life. Welcome to Forum, Professor Calarco. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so camp does provide crucial childcare in the summer months, and that seems to be a helper, or is it? I mean, I think we have to factor in the history here and also the comparisons between what's happening in the U.S. and other countries. So essentially other countries have solved this summer problem with a stronger social safety net. In other countries, France, for example, workers get ample paid vacation time. They might have nine or 10 weeks of paid vacation during the summer. And the school year is also longer, running oftentimes from September through late June or early July. And so that means that most families don't have to worry about what to do with their kids during the summer because they have that time off to travel or to spend time with their kids at home. In the U.S., we don't provide those protections for families. We don't provide guaranteed paid time off for workers. And that means that most families can't afford to just stay home with their kids while schools are closed. Those certainly many of the families that I've interviewed in my own research, they have one parent who's chosen to work part time or to um, choose a job like teaching, for example, where they can be home in the summer specifically to try to deal with this problem. So again, this is a place where it disproportionately gets pushed onto moms to deal with um, because we haven't structured our um, our society and our economy in ways that make it possible for families to, to, to fill these gaps in care. Well, that just further proves that life seems to be better in France. I mean, we have some call- some listeners who are writing the same thing. Juliana writes, I would agree that this is the most hated task in parenting, coordinating summer camps. My thought is, why can't more schools shift to year-round schedules so there aren't as many days off in the summer? And this would allow families to take breaks during times throughout the year that aren't so busy. And the costs for camps have gone up so much. It's easily $550 to $600 a week. And I have two kids, so it's becoming less affordable. Affordable. I mean, Jessica, is camp, uh, I mean, if we don't have year-round school, so is this a viable alternative for families? I mean, I think we have to recognize the fact that camp is not a universal experience. Instead, only about a third of kids in the U.S. go to camp during the summer, and less than 10% of them go to overnight camp. And essentially, summer is one of the most segregated times of the year, in part because of the high costs of camps, um, that those kids who are going to summer camp are disproportionately affluent white kids. Uh, One study found, for example, that kids with college-educated parents are six times as likely to go to camp um, as kids of parents who don't have college degrees. And there's also differences in the type of camps that they're going to. Uh, the kinds of camps that affluent white kids are going to are, are disproportionately these, these enrichment type camps uh, because those families have the time to figure out this matrix of different options and they have the resources to be able to pay hundreds or thousands of dollars a week in some cases so their kids can follow their passions or have these eye-opening adventures or um, you know be where their friends are, whereas other parents simply don't have that luxury. They need whatever camp they can get as childcare if they can afford camp at all. And so they're choosing lower cost options, sliding scale options that often don't have any bells and whistles or at least as many bells and whistles, but that actually are oftentimes better suited for childcare purposes, that these kind of camps exist. They're often provided through parks departments, through local public school, uh, local public school systems or through things like the Boys and Girls Clubs or the YMCA. Um, Those kinds of camps, which I've sent my own kids to, kind of operate more like childcare um, and actually are much more affordable too. Well, let's go to the phones. We have Kim from San Ramon. Kim, welcome to Forum. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me. What's your comment or question? Um, so I am a parent of two children. I um, They are 9 and 12. This year, between the two of them, we are in five different summer camps, and we've paid a total of $10,000 for those camps. Um, one of them is an overnight camp, but it's still a tremendous amount of money. My question is, what can we do to advocate for higher financial benefits for families? So, for example, the uh, dependent care benefit through my employer's um, FSA is uh, $5,000 per year minimum. And for as a parent of two kids, for us to spend less than $5,000 a year on child care sounds ludicrous. Mm. What can we do to, as you're saying, change the system so that there's more acknowledgement of a need for parents to have time off for child care in the summer, but also for us to be able to afford uh, summer camps? Oh, thanks for that question, Kim. Jessica, what do you think? I mean, I think certainly we need a whole host of new programs for families that, that provide the kind of support they need, both logistically in terms of paid time off and also in terms of ample support for childcare. I mean, I think short of making childcare a universal public system, uh, which many countries have done in terms of providing year-round care for kids, um, making sure that parents are able to be in the workforce when they don't have that paid time off, um, that the next steps that we can do are to provide kind of ample subsidies for families. At the same time, I think it's hard to do that in a way that is equitable, um, given the differences in the kinds of camps uh, that families want and that families are able to pay for, um, that certainly we could think about what, what would a model look like where maybe we do extend the school year or where we have broader public options for camp where maybe we're ratcheting down some of the expectations around things like enrichment or, you know, incredibly exciting activities um, instead to make it a more equitable system where this is more affordable for all and that we can kind of lobby for the kinds of um, financial protections that would need to be in place to make that uh, possible for everyone who needs care in the summer. And so that we're not leaving many families not only not being able to get into the camps that they might want for their kids, but having to leave their kids at home or rely on um, grandparents or rely on neighbors to watch their children or take time off themselves, even if they don't have paid time off uh, during the summers. Well, another listener writes, when did the IRS pre-tax set-aside get set up for childcare? Because it restricts eligible expenses to day camps, not overnight. That may have helped create the rise in day camp fever. And a shout out to our Boys and Girls Club. They offer subsidized and free summer camp, which is needed in our community. And that was from Joanne. Um, another issue that has been coming up in our comments is finding a camp that goes past noon. Ashley writes, as a family with two full-time working parents, finding camps that go past noon is so frustrating. So many camps are only half day. There are so few camps that go until 5 p.m. Eduardo, what do you think about that? I mean, having a full day camp versus a half day camp. Absolutely. Uh, well, right now we run nine hour programs um, and most of our camps are, are now um, in partnership with school districts or uh, public agencies. And the actually California has made a historic investment to cr try to create more equity in this space, as we're hearing from from all these folks. Um, so through the expanded learning opportunities program, it's um, the state has allocated four billion dollars towards uh, school districts to implement nine hour uh, programs, both in the summertime and during the school year. They got to provide a nine hour uh, school day, so that includes after school. And um, we find that that's that's a game changer, right? Because now we're able to provide services for students uh, 210 days out of the year. And these programs are specifically targeted towards families from low-income families, but it's not exclusive. Um, the the uh, priority enrollment needs to be given to families who are low-income. Um, however, once the, that priority enrollment is given out, 
If there are additional spots, they can be given to any family in that school district. So um, definitely something to look for. And that's definitely another thing that families can do to advocate uh, for more types of funding and uh, for these types of program. And that's, again, that it's called uh, the Expanded Learning Opportunities Program, or ELOP. Mm-hmm. And is that something that's helped in, with your camps, it's, it, it sounds like? Oh, absolutely. I mean, families who need that care, they need it all day. Um, and so we're able to um, provide that, that care for them while they're at work um, so that they have peace of mind, not just knowing that their kids are being cared for, but also doing enriching activities. So like you heard, there's a, a wide array of quality of programs. And really, that's what Edmo's focus is now, is creating equitable access to high-quality enrichment programs so that even families from low-income uh, uh, communities, they're getting access to science and art and tech and coding and building rockets and designing cities. I mean, all kids should have that opportunity to explore their passions uh, and, and learn new things. Well, one listener writes, Tammy, she, she writes, I found getting into camps harder than getting Bruce Springsteen tickets. The minute the registration was supposed to start, the website crashed, and it took 30 minutes before I could get in. It's partly because this camp is the only one less than $500 per week. We're talking about camps and camps for the summer for your kids and the the challenges, the joys of sending your kids to summer camp. There are pain points to think about, cost, difficulty in signing up, and the pressure kids might feel going to camp. I'm joined by Lydia Kiesling. She's a journalist and author of the article, How Summer Camp Became Such a Hot Mess for Parents. Eduardo Caballero, he's the co-founder and executive director of EDMO, a summer camp in the Bay Area. And Dr. Jessica Calarco, she's a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and she's an expert on inequalities in education and in family life. We'd love to hear from you. Did your child embrace the idea of going to summer camp? And did they have a particular summer camp in mind? What do you think about specialized camps? And do they put pressure on kids? Or did you go to summer camp as a child? And what are your memories of that experience? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. More on camps after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about camps and why it's such a hot mess for parents, 
why camps are hard to book, why are they costly, what's apparent to do. I'm joined by Eduardo Caballero. He's the co-founder and executive director of Edmo, a summer camp in the Bay Area, and Jessica Calarco. She's from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she's an associate professor of sociology and an expert on inequalities in education and family life. And finally, we've got Lydia Kiesling. She's a journalist and author, and her most recent piece for Bloomberg was How Summer Camp Became Such a Hot Mess for Parents. One of the comments that we've received, um, Grace writes, it's true that summer camps are such a Tetris puzzle each year. Add kids with disabilities to the mix and you're left with these special two or whatever that can handle your child successfully. And the real sign up panic begins. If these few camps don't have space or fit into your calendar, it's a real disaster. I will be forever grateful to those camps that are truly inclusive out there. And in that same vein, let's go to the phones. Tony in Castro Valley. Tony, Thanks for joining Forum. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, what's your what's your story about camps? Well, so yeah, in that same vein, um, I have three children, and I'm privileged enough to be able to send them to camps. In fact, I just drove home from dropping off my uh, daughter at a softball camp, and my other daughter's going to a ballet camp, and so we have that whole experience of a million options and anxiety and figuring out the pickup and drop off routines and who's going to do what. And, you know, the madness of all that. But I also have a, a son who is, uh, who has developmental delays and, and is autistic. And with him, it's the exact opposite experience. I mean, there's just nothing available. I, I, we can't find a camp for him. And, you know, even if we wanted to, to get him enrolled, they just, the options aren't there. So, the comment I wanted to make and, and add to this conversation is just that for parents with children with special needs, you know, the experience is that the camp industrial complex has completely left them behind. Mm. And, you know, it's just a real shame to see that, like, my daughters, they can do anything they want. You know, I think that we can, we're privileged enough to be able to send them the things and we're grateful for that. My son has not, you know, has no options. Mm. Well, Eduardo, what do you make of that? I mean, the lack of camps for a child like Tony's. It's true. I mean, there's definitely a lot less options out there. Um, you know, one of the things to do is is to call camps ahead of time. They may not advertise that they they have you know special supports for for kids who have learning disabilities or other disabilities, um, but they may be open to working with a family. Like I know at Edmo, we would say, "Hey, do you have someone who can come?" with you, like a, a high school volunteer or like maybe a family friend who can join your child at camp and so that we can create that inclusive environment if they need that additional one-on-one attention. If they don't need additional one-on-one attention while they're doing the programs, um, then we would say, great, just come on in. I mean, we had kids on the spectrum, whether it was autism or uh, auditory or, or sight impairments at Edmo. Um, and as long as you know we knew what those things were ahead of time, um, oftentimes we could even give a tour to the family and the child the week before the start of whatever week they were doing. Um, I would typically not recommend coming to the first week of camp if you mm. have a child who has special needs. Um, you know, go in like the second or the third week um, so the staff has already gotten comfortable and, and, and know their r- routines and they can handle maybe someone who needs a little extra support. And it also gives you a chance to go with your child to go see the camp and make them feel comfortable 
uh, before they start. Yeah. Um, Lydia, we were, we've been talking about camp and um, as a form of child care, but I'm just curious, I think a lot of people are nostalgic for their own childhoods and the time when they just didn't have camp at all. They would just stay at home, hang out, um, have no programming whatsoever. How is, why has that changed? I mean, are, are we not allowed to be latchkey kids anymore? Well, I think, I mean, you know, I don't want to um, impugn anybody's memory of their of their childhood, but I think there is a little bit of kind of selective memory on that front. Or, you know, also it's just kids have had such wildly divergent experiences. So, you know, there are um, adults now of all ages who remember this kind of pastoral childhood where they could go out, you know, in the morning and come back in the evening. Um, I think often that was possible because they perhaps had a parent uh, at home who was likely a mom at home. Um, you know, women have always worked outside of the home, um, but that number, you know, soared uh, sort of toward the middle of the um, 20th century. Uh, so, you know, increasingly there are you know, kids don't have a parent at home during the day. And then also, you know, it, yes, you know, there's, there are some kids who had wonderful kind of latchkey like experiences, but then there were others who did not, who were, you know, placed with family members or neighbors or really just left to kind of rattle around and maybe possibly like unsafe situations. <laughs> so, you know, I want to honor the experiences that people have, have had of kind of unstructured childhoods, but I think it's, um, I'm always a little bit skeptical when people, you know, often that's used as like a cudgel to sort of um, beat modern parents with. And they say, you know, <laughs> kids are like so oversubscribed today and, you know, parents are snowplows or helicopters or whatever, you know, the um, metaphor that is being currently being used. And yes, like, of course, I see um, anecdotally, like in my own life, you know, sometimes you're like, why, why does it, people, the parents are doing too much. But then um, when you do think about all those issues that um, uh, Jessica was bringing up, like, it's, it's really bleak out there in terms of a social safety net, in terms of a network of care. And uh, a lot of kids and parents have just really been left on their own um, for a long time in this country. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back to the phones. Nicole, you're on the air. Thanks for joining Forum. Oh, sure. So I just wanted to share my experience. I grew up in the Bay Area, and I was the only kid sent off to full summer sleepaway camp in Maine who wasn't from the East Coast. Wow. And culturally, it was very different. And um, we raised our kids on the East Coast, and we sent our kids to like a two-week sleepaway camp, which quite frankly was really hard to find because... Um, uh, most kids in the town where we raised our kids and for most of Connecticut, it's a ghost town. If you don't send your kids to camp, you know, you say, I want to let my kids play at home. There's no other kids to play with because everybody goes to sleepaway camp. It's very, very different than the West Coast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And did you find that, Lydia, that sleepaway camp was sort of an East Coast versus West Coast thing? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, there are uh, there have been uh, at least you know, again, going back to my like weird digging in the New York Times archive, um, I found, you know, references like in the 30s to sleepaway camps being all over the country, although definitely um, 
heavily concentrated in the Northeast. Um, I'd say it's less an East Coast versus West Coast than a, you know, rich versus poor. Although I really want to um, emphasize that I did hear from people when the piece was published who wrote and said, you know, I was able to go to a sleepaway camp through um, for little or no money through um, Girl Scouts. Um, people talked about, you know, vacation Bible type camps. Um, you know, there are a lot of there are options out there that were meeting, you know, families who, you know, perhaps had fewer resources. Um, but overall, I think it's, you know, primarily, um, again, um, as um, Professor Clarko mentioned, like something that is more of an affluent families mm-hmm. uh, thing that they can do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear from um Amy from Napa Valley. Amy, thanks for joining Forum. You're on the air. Hi. 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 Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I just this is really just a shout out. I'm, I live up in Napa Valley, and we have an amazing boys and girls club up here um, in St. Helena and Calistoga. Um, it's extremely well funded, granted, because there are a lot of wealthy people in this area, so they're gala so much money that um, you spent, you pay sixty dollars for the entire summer, and you can use the resources as much or as little as you like. Um, I have two teens; I don't worry about them. But my littlest is seven, um, and he loves going. They have specialty segments where he's learning how to cook from a CIA student. Um, there's a steam segment. There's a sports segment. Um, they just have a blast, and it's all day every day, and it's amazing how affordable it is. Um, so much that you almost feel like. Yeah. Um, well, that's good to know. Boys and Girls Club in your region, and we've getting we're getting a lot of shout outs for Boys and Girls Clubs. Jessica, I mean, what are the? You've mentioned that camp. Not everybody goes to summer camp. It's actually a small percentage of American families that do send their children to summer camp. What are the alternatives to sending your child to summer camp if you need the child care? Yeah, I mean, families are sort of making it work however they can. In many cases, that's uh, relying on extended family members um, if you're lucky. And, and so actually, most families live relatively close to their extended families. Um, I think the average is, uh, I think most people live on average about 18 miles from their um, from their own mother, for example. And so a lot of kids end up at grandma's house. Again, women doing a lot of this work um, for families. Um, at the same time, that's becoming increasingly challenging given that people are retiring later because of the financial precarity that we're in right now. And so grandma may not be available during the summer um, if she's still around uh, to provide that kind of care and people are having children later, which also complicates things. And so it's disproportionately those high income families who tend to move further away from families uh, when, they, uh, when they're when they older, when they go out into the workforce. And that's part of where this difference in who needs camp and who doesn't comes from is who has a community um, around them that they can um, that they can have their kids part of too. Um, there's also some families that are relying on things like summer school. Certainly some families are still leaving their kids home um, despite the risks of doing so. We've had many states put in place laws since the 1970s um, restricting the ages at which kids can stay home by themselves. And even when those laws aren't in place, um, there's still certainly stigma around the choice to allow an eight or nine-year-old to stay home for extended periods of time or to go play at the park. And certainly some families have um, gotten in legal trouble um, for those mm-hmm. kinds of choices that they've had to make because they don't have access to care during the summer. Well, Karen writes, summer camps are a parental nightmare, but it's one that I'm habituated to. My biggest concern is how few options there are for 13 to 14 year olds. Most camps tap out at 12 and counselors start at 15. What are your what are young teens supposed to do all summer? Eduardo, any thoughts? Volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great, great age to start building some work skills, um, build 
qualities like responsibility and um, collaboration, teamwork, leadership. Um, so look around. A lot of programs will have, a, they call it a leader in training program or a counselor in training program. Uh, great age uh, to start volunteering. So a 13 or 14-year-old could do something like that? Absolutely. That's how I started. Oh, great. Good to know. <laughs> well, I did want to talk about Edmo, um, Eduardo, because the model changed. I mean, Edmo was started, and it was open to anybody who wanted to pay the fee to go to that camp. Uh, and now you have a little bit of a different model. Tell us a little bit about that, because it seems like that is maybe a a way for us to be going heading towards. Absolutely. Um, so yes, we started with a fee-based model. We're a nonprofit, um, but about 80% of our families up until a couple years ago were, were fee-paying families. They paid that $350, $400 a week for camp. And about 20% of our families were on financial aid or scholarship. Uh, and we kind of, we did some soul searching. Um, it was in uh, 2019 um, as, an, as an organization and really going like, how can we be a greater force for equity? We are understanding all of the data that's coming out. And we've heard some of that already uh, from Jessica that, you know, there is so much inequity and kids who are from affluent families and, and middle income families, they're getting about 6,000 hours more of after school and summer programs uh, than families who are low income uh, by the time they're in sixth grade, 6,000 hours. So that is a huge um, opportunity gap and, and learning achievement gap that happens when, when one group of kids gets so much access to things that other kids don't. So um, we um, ended up At the same time as we were doing this kind of soul searching, it turns out California said, hey, it also recognized this incredible inequity. And especially coming out of this pandemic, the state's like, hey, this is a real opportunity to help close that achievement gap. And the state put its money where its values are and said, hey, we're going to lead the nation in investing in this space, in this after school and summer space. And um, we're like, we're all in. We're, we're, we'll, we will absolutely partner with the school districts and with the state to, to be of greater force for equity. So this summer, we're actually 100% funded programs through our school district partnerships and some partnerships like with the city of San Francisco. Uh, so families can get the same access of that, you know, those $400 a week camps uh, for free uh, or, or very, very low cost. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, I know you have camps all over the Bay Area, but before the show started, we were talking about your San Francisco location. And for parents who don't have a plan for their kids this summer, listen carefully. So, what what can you tell us, Eduardo? Right, that's actually one of our unique camps, and that it's funded through the city. So, any uh, resident of San Francisco uh, can qualify to come to our camp. We have one at the Thomas Edison Charter Academy on Twenty Second and Dolores, uh, and I believe we still have some more spots available there too. So. Uh, just visit our website. I mean, this is the public service announcement. There is a <laughs> summer camp spot, um, and it's no cost, right? That's right. Yeah. No cost. That's it. Um, well, we're getting a lot of shout-outs for parks and recs in various cities. Pat writes, Berkeley has just or is about to open two camps for low-income families. I don't have the article from the Berkeley Voice, so I don't remember all the particulars, but I do remember they are $1.20 per day, and that a family could go for two weeks for approximately $30. Those amounts are not typos. I know we're wackos here in Berkeley, but sometimes I'm very proud of my town. I would be too. That's amazing, Pat. Let's go back to the phones. Um, Let's hear from Michelle in San Francisco. Hi, yes. um, Thanks for having this discussion today. I really appreciate it. Um, Something that happens in in my neighborhood is a bunch of parents get together and put a list of all the things that are going to be available for the summer uh, on, you know, a spreadsheet and we share it. 
Um, but there is affordability issues at play. And so one of the parents basically took that list and, and reached out to all of those entities early on and said, hey, can you help me out financially? Um, and that proactivity really helped her, you know, um, finance or, you know, get aid uh, throughout the summer for, you know, wonderful camps. So just an idea that I wanted to, to share with your listeners. Oh, that's a great idea. Um, a couple more suggestions from our phone lines. Rob in San Francisco, welcome to Forum. Hi, Rob. Rob, are you there? I think we lost Rob, but Rob has an informal summer camp is, is, that his wife is running for two weeks, and um, they're doing that at home, which sounds great. And one last call, Sean in San Jose. Hey, Sean. Hi. Camping Unlimited is an organization that, uh, that operates uh, uh, more than one camp. And we, and we lost Camp Creme in, um, in the fires, but they're rebuilding. So we're talking about uh, kids with special needs, um, and they have their own transportation. Uh, Shared Adventures in Santa Cruz has a three-day camp uh, in Livermore. Um, the whole family can go with, with their child or with their children, and it's free with the exception of uh, administrative costs, which is probably about 50 bucks. Well, that um, is, that's a super suggestion, Sean. Thank you for calling in with that. And that's called Shared Adventures in Livermore, right? Well, no, the camp is in Livermore, but Shared Adventures is in Santa Cruz. And on July 15th, uh, we may, we're going to make the ocean accessible, you know, by, by a wheelchair. Uh, uh, and outrigger canoe rides, double kayaks, every, everything is free for anyone with it, with it, of any age, with any kind of disability. They just have to register ahead. But we're talking about live music, uh, DJs, dancing, food, activities for the kids, food and, food and drink, and all of that is free for anybody. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, well, thank you, Sean, for that suggestion. And we've come to the end of our hour. We were be we've been talking about summer camp and why it's such a hot mess for parents with Lydia Kiesling, a journalist and author, and Eduardo Caballero. He's the co-founder and executive director of Edmo, a summer camp in the Bay Area, and Jessica Calarco. Associate Professor of Sociology at University of Wisconsin-Madison. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. The 9 o'clock hour of Forum is produced by me, Blanca Torres, Dan Zoll, and Juan Carlos Lara. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. Judy Campbell is our lead producer. Our engineer is Danny Bringer. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin-Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Leslie McClurg. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.